0: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the John D. Sperry podcast. I hope it's welcome back because if it's not welcome back, if this is the first one you've listened to, we're on episode three and. This is the kind of podcast where you have to go back and listen to episode one all the way through, because if you don't, you're going to be super lost, because this podcast is dedicated to the reading of my books. Um, We're working on the book LAMP, The Link Access Manipulation Program, which is a retelling of the Aladdin story in a futuristic, semi-dystopian universe. Well, maybe dystopian for Earth, but... Yeah, you, you're going to miss the prologue, Chapter 1, if you if this is the first one you've listened to. So go back and listen to Episode 1 and Episode 2. All that being said, we're going to jump right into Chapter 2. We actually get into some serious stuff here. We meet the antagonist. and But before we do that, I just want to mention that all my books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and anywhere you buy paperbacks and uh, e-books. So, that being said, Chapter 2, here you go. Chapter 2 Haslan Malik's genealogy was replete with centuries of ancient kings from the Middle Continent, but that's not why he chose the title of Sultan. It represented power, and Malik was the most powerful man on Earth because he had what both the aliens and the technology makers of the East and the Afrique continent needed. He was the one and only king on Earth. The only man with the power to dictate. Malik was an austere man, tall, thick, and brooding, with weathered olive skin and black eyes. An ebony ponytail swung over the tops of his wide shoulders, and the tailor-made suit he wore... An exorbitant luxury in his part of the remaining world, fit him like a surgical glove. The fabric couldn't seem to contain the sinuous muscle that rippled beneath it. For most of the people that knew him best, however, the middle-aged king's physical presence was nothing compared to the severe look in his eyes when he wasn't pleased or did not get exactly what he wanted, the look he wore most of the time. Malik sat in an enormous, opulent leather chair as he twirled a small, dull knife in his fingers, "'a family relic with a rusty blade and a hilt made of gold and silver with jewels dotting the crosspiece. "'Have they arrived yet?' Malik asked as he pressed a comm button on the surface of his desk. "'Not yet, Mr. Malik. I'll let them in as soon as they—' "'replied the security lackey at the frontmost checkpoint of the Capitol building, "'a place that had become his de facto palace.' but Malik killed the connection before the man could finish. Malik grumbled and stood up and walked across his office to look out at the troubled empire over which he was the lone steward. He gently rubbed the knife blade against his smooth-shaven face. Bag City and all of its lithium refineries were a gift to his family centuries ago by the occupying Telluride species of invader aliens that controlled planet Earth. The Tellurides, a lithium-breathing species from another world, procured the lithium industry from all other refining families in the Two Centuries War that decimated most of the technologically advanced world and all of the civilized world, making places like Bag City a wild and hostile hotbed of illegal activity. It was Malik's family that assisted the Tellurides as traitors to their world in the procurement of the lithium mines, thereby earning control of the mining and refining industries from the Tellurides who could not easily dwell on Earth. I need it. Malik declared angrily to his voice-initiated zone interface responder, a computer brain that had no physical presence in the room, but existed as a ubiquitous computer voice wherever Malik went within the palace. Vizier, as the device was conveniently called, was Malik's only counselor, because he trusted no living being. I'm tired of being controlled, Malik continued. It's time for a change. "'As long as they have control, we will never be taken seriously in the Galactic Union.' "'I want autonomy!' he exclaimed as he stared at the knife in his hands. "'We're nothing more than a pit stop for tellurides and other lithium-consuming species around the galaxy. Earth used to be great!' "'But your leadership and wisdom have improved our status in the Union, my Sultan, and you personally benefit greatly from this pit stop,' Vizier responded flatteringly. "'Not enough.' Malik said softly. I want freedom. I want to trade with the galaxy on my terms. Every planet needs lithium and we have so much we could practically make a new ocean out of it. Malik sighed and took a deep breath, sinking back into his chair. Do you know what it's like to have your entire livelihood overseen by pompous outsiders who think they control the galaxy? They do control the galaxy, Mr. Malik, Vizier responded. I know they do, Malik screamed. I want to control the galaxy. I have the resource the galaxy needs and the intelligence to do it, but they have the one thing that gives them the advantage. He replied, holding up a single index finger, glaring at it like it was the most desirable thing in the galaxy. Vizier stayed silent as Malik pondered. Where are we with the streetjackers? Malik suddenly asked, as he scrolled through a familiar three-dimensional schematic on his desktop data module. Nothing has come up recently on the nets. It seems your attempt to find the most qualified candidate has all but eliminated traceable cyberjacking. They are a cunning breed, my sultan. That's impossible, Malik said as he took a puff on an electronic cigar, the cloud of vapor disappearing into the ceiling. There have been a steady number of plastering complaints. That's just raiding the market nets for advertising. I don't care about that. I want a jacker, the best jacker. Someone capable of getting me what I need. He's out there, Vizier. I just have to find him. And once I find him, I will personally destroy the Telluride stranglehold on this world. I will make them disappear, he said as he took another puff on his cigar. Like magic, he finished, more vapor escaping from between his lips. Did you order me a new Mecca? Malik asked after another pensive moment. The question was not only sudden, but a rather abrupt change of subject. Yes, my sultan, vizier responded. Eastern linguistic specialty. Good. I'm going to need a good one going forward, he said as he enjoyed one last taste of the exotic flavor of western continental tobacco. As he swiped the schematic from the screen of his datamod, mod, a green alert light illuminated at the edge of the screen. You seem to have a visitor, my sultan. Malik hit the comm panel again. Is that the delegation? he asked sternly. Yes, sir. Shall I send them up? replied the security lackey at the front gates. Send them to the conference room, Malik replied, then closed the connection before the attendant could respond. Is everything ready for the clan delegates, vizier? Yes, my sultan. The information is ready in the data modules. Good. They're not going to know what hit them. He smiled and laid the cigar in the tray on his desk. The chime of an incoming message rang across Simic's lab where Ladin was in the initial stages of developing his specialized neural web. It wasn't his dwelling, it wasn't his net message, so he ignored it. The chime rang again. Ladin looked up from his work to see if anyone was going to answer it. Simic sat in a chair fast asleep, and Zade was in the greenhouse tending to the vegetables. Ladin pulled his magnifying goggles off and walked over to the main monitor screen near the door. A green light flashed, indicating that an external net message had been delivered. He was apprehensive at first, but when he saw that it came from the palace, he couldn't resist. He pressed the receive button and read carefully as the message opened up. Delivery priority, Simic T. District, Dodd 3.34. Subject, L. Mecca build. Send priority, Malik. Ladin's eyes shot wide as he read the sender. It hadn't simply come from the capital. It had come from Malik himself, directly from the Sultan. Ladin swiped the screen up to read more. Message: Malik, Federal Mecca Build Request, Diplomatic Linguistic Mecca. Subject: L Mecca Build. Language Database Inclusion, Comprehensive Eastern Clan Bagadite Telluride. Gender: Female. Ethnic Aesthetic: Ming. Availability. 41879 3. Addendum 50% bonus for early delivery. Respond accept 15152. Respond decline 13131. Laddin's heart leapt with excitement. 250,000 credits? Holy! Simic snorted in his chair and Laddin stifled his joy. Oh, yes, we're accepting this one, Laddin said as he quietly and jubilantly pulled up the digital keyboard. One five, one, five, two, he said, as he typed the corresponding numbers to what Zade said, as she came in, brushing dried dirt from her hands, Ladin spun around, startled by her sudden presence. Oh, uh, I just uh, accepted a job, he said sheepishly, rubbing the back of his neck. a job, Zade said defensively, for my father, yeah, Ladin replied, you accepted a job without asking him first. "'Yeah, but it's okay. This one's mine. Simic said we could use my design for the next one. This is the next one.' "'Was that Kasim, then?' Ladin twitched. "'Uh...' Zadeh moved past the boy to get a look at the monitor. "'Okay, no, it wasn't Cassim, but it will get you out of having to do anything for him ever again,' Ladin said, trying to grease the wheel because he felt a lot of friction coming. "'Malik!' Zade blurted as she downloaded the message over her wireless radio. "'You accepted a job from the Sultan!' Ladin, you had no right. Yeah, but did you see how much? Fifteen days! Zade bellowed again. Ladin, what were you thinking? What's fifteen days? Simic grumbled as he sat up in his chair. Both Ladin and Zade turned to face him with wide eyes as the old man slowly rose to his feet. Ladin accepted a job, Zade stated obediently. Oh, has Kasim already sent over a new request? Simic asked with feigned persecution. Well... No, not exactly, Ladin said as he stared apprehensively at Simic. It's for the, uh, sultan, he cringed. Simic's eyes quickly narrowed, his eyebrows crumbling down his forehead. That's not very funny, he replied cautiously. It's not a joke, father. The call came in, and Ladin... Simic silenced his daughter as he hobbled over to the monitor screen as fast as his aging feet and legs would carry him. With Ladin and Zade flanking him, Simic pressed on the monitor and quickly read, Ladin and Zade shot accusatory looks back and forth, a heavy breath followed by a guttural groan issued from somewhere deep inside Simic. What were you thinking? The old man exclaimed as he continued to read. Fifteen days, he hollered. I can't viably have a mecca ready for Malik in two weeks. It's not possible. But you don't have to, Simic. I can do it, Ladin said eagerly, trying to soothe the old man. No, you can't, Simic replied angrily. You can't do it in that short a time. You don't know what you're doing, Simic replied, throwing his hands in the air as he walked back to his chair and placed a hand on the back of it and looked skyward. Oh, I never should have. Simic, I can do this. I really can. I just need a few... What, Ladin? You need a few what? Parts? Is that what you need? You need a few thousand credits from me so you can build this mecha that when you fail, I will have to save? No. This is not your project anymore. There was no way you were doing this, not this one. This is for Malik. He's the Sultan. People in the city live and die at his command. I know, Simic, but I can do this, Ladin pleaded again. No, you can't. You have no experience and that is final. Just give me a chance. Simic turned around and shook an angry finger at Ladin. No, you betrayed my trust, boy. Don't expect it back anytime soon. Ladin could feel a rare tear begin to form in the corner of his eye. The old man, whom he loved in spite of himself, had cut him to the quick. Ladin pulled his shawl up over his head and began to wrap it over his face, making sure to obscure his eyes. "'Okay. I guess I'll see you,' he said as he stopped to pick up his crate of parts, then head for the door. "'Ladin, don't go!' Zade said, her voice pleading and sympathetic. Ladin had never really seen her for what she truly was until that moment, when, with robotic loyalty— She didn't say one word to defend him to her father. "'I'll see around,' Ladin muttered, then walked out the door. Zade turned immediately to Simic. "'Why couldn't you at least give him a chance? He's the best programmer you've ever seen. More natural gift than anyone. You said it yourself, and you meant it. You meant that he was the best, not just for a street jacker, but anyone. Why can't you just let him try?' Zade said angrily to her father, now that there was no audience. Zade, he accepted a job that I couldn't possibly fulfill. Even with your help, it would be a devil of an undertaking. Not to mention, the skin alone takes ten days to grow. If we made a mistake, that would give us no time to fix it. Then why not let Ladin do all the heavy lifting? Let him build the neural web and program it. That's the difficult part? Zade's eye began to flutter again. Gah! She exclaimed in frustration as she slapped a hand over it. The point is, you need to trust him someday if you're going to get him off the streets. Simic stared at his daughter, broken from living in the desert, an example of paternal neglect herself. He sighed heavily and groaned. "'I'm going to regret this. I just know it,' he said, and Zare smiled widely as she wrapped her own purple scarf around her face. "'Thank you, father,' she said as the dwelling door slid open. The heat was intense, and the wind had already begun to pick up outside. "'You're a stupid old fool!' Simic said as he watched his daughter go to retrieve the only flesh-and-blood person Simic cared anything for. That's my proposal, gentlemen. The eviction of Telerad control and the autonomy of Earth as a partner in the Galactic Union, Malik said to a long table of men in Eastern and Afrique fashions with interpreter buds stuffed in their ears. The members of each of the foreign delegations looked at each other. A few whispered, At the far end, across from where Malik stood at the head of the table, a man with dark brown skin and a skeptical gaze stood up. Yes, Mr. Kofi! Malik said, pointing a strong finger toward the most powerful man on the planet besides Malik himself. His name was Kofi, and he represented the only earthly trade distribution service of technology. He dealt in both legitimate technology from China and other eastern clans, as well as less legitimate avenues of trafficking. Kofi stared at Malik with a slow, painstaking gaze. You have proposed a very appealing trade agreement between your refineries and the technology production groups, but I—and I believe I speak for the rest of the delegation—have absolutely no faith in your dream of eliminating the Tellurides without causing some sort of war that leads to all of our absolute destruction. Kofi picked up his datamod and tapped a few times, sending Malik's plan to the garbage bin. So I hope you will forgive me if I don't share your enthusiasm for disrupting the status quo. He finished, then turned and signaled to his personal delegation that they were leaving. Malik placed a hand over his ear to make sure he had gotten the translation in its fullest. His ire began to really boil when the other delegations also stood and gathered their things, ready to walk out with Kofi, their distributor. Mr. Kofi, Malik called loudly and sternly. Kofi had already begun wrapping himself in his sand shawl. What you don't seem to understand is that I've known for years how to defeat them. They have a weakness, and I am primed to exploit it. He narrowed his eyes at the dark and brooding figure across from him. And when I do... He didn't remove his gaze from Kofi, who shifted his weight uneasily. I will remember the people in this room, Malik finished with an almost sinister smirk. Kofi sneered. You are a madman, he said in Broken Bagadite, then threw the remaining wrap over his shoulder. The lamp is a myth that you perpetuated. Kofi, Malik said one more time, and Kofi stopped his delegation at the door. I assure you the lamp is real, and only I know how to get it. He paused for a moment, looking down at his datamod, then looking back up with stern, narrowed eyes at Kofi. This is a one-time offer, Kofi. If you walk out that door, I can't guarantee your place in the new order, Malik said, baring his teeth like a Cheshire cat. Kofi recoiled slightly and shook his head in disgust. You are truly mad, Kofi said, and I am not comfortable with this course of action. Then look for your lithium elsewhere, Malik replied haughtily. Kofi stared deeply. Malik had him. Kofi walked slowly back to the table with a sneer under his shawl. Malik chuckled condescendingly. That's what I thought. He said as he looked at the rest of the Eastern Clan delegations responsible for the majority of technology manufactured in the world. Each of the representatives looked nervous as they stared at the man who had somehow gathered their collected fate in the palm of his hand. Now, if you will all have a seat, I would like to discuss our new business plan. Once the Tellarides are gone. Okay, so that was chapter two. Podcast three talks about chapter two. So we're really getting into the story now. We've now been introduced to the protagonist. We've been introduced now officially to the antagonist, Malik, the Sultan of Bag City. He's one of those bad guys who introduced the way that he's introduced, especially in this book. He seems like a bad guy. Obviously, he's the guy that everybody's afraid of. He makes all the decisions. He's the the dictator of Bag City. And he just seems like a bad dude. But if you sort of look at it from his perspective, um, Simic says that people live and die at this man's hands. But if we look at, at it from his perspective, he, he's sort of in the same position as other leaders who wanted to free their people for whatever reason. On the one hand, he wants to be free of the Telluride control of Earth. And so he's fighting to get free of these people, and you know you could even compare him to any uh, powerful leader, anybody who wanted freedom. However, he's got a couple of different aspects in his life, a couple of different things that makes that make him different, that set him apart. He was he was raised in a family that was given the stewardship of Earth uh, by the Tellurids because they they were traitors. They they betrayed their own people, sold them out in order to become the the curators, the the managers of planet Earth and the lithium, the most valuable substance on planet Earth at the time. So, you know, he's not that great a dude. He's not a, he's not some freedom fighter for the sake of freedom. He even states that he wants to control the galaxy um and he wants this secret that the tellarites have this secret lamp that he reveals at the end so now we know malik um when i was writing malik i wanted malik to be that kind of a character where it's just like on one hand you can sympathize with him on the other hand you know he's not the greatest dude he doesn't have everybody's best interest in mind his name malik in arabic um actually means holder or proprietor or possessor So he is the possessor, the proprietor of Earth. That's where his name comes from. Um, In some translations early on when I was writing this, uh, Malik meant king. But I think more appropriately, it's just sort of proprietor or, you know. As I was thinking, I was thinking of other bad guys in books. um, Because a lot of the YA, especially the dystopian stuff, the bad guy is usually some... Faceless, diabolical, or almost even a subtle bad guy. I wanted Malick to have a comic book presence. I, I thought a lot of Kingpin uh, from the Spider-Man comics. I thought a lot of those big bad guys, some of the cartoony bad guys that you might see in in, in Disney movies or in other cartoons. Uh, The big guy with the really deep voice, <laughs> you know, maybe smoking a cigar. In this case, he smokes a c- uh, smokes a cigar. Um. Uh, there are plenty of villains like in Don Bluth movies, the, the cartoons like American Tale, where you have these kind of bad guys, these opportunistic bad guys who want all the power. And so I wanted him to have that. Uh, I wanted him to sort of have the the typical cronies, the lackeys, the the people who are almost too scared not to follow him. Uh, kind of attitude. And we see that with, uh, the way he treats people. He has all these people serving him. He's got Kasim, the head of his police. Apparently there's a police force. We have the lackey at the front gate. We have, um, uh, just, just people are afraid not to serve him. And even Simic, you get the impression that the people down in the markets are afraid of him because people like Simic said, people live and die at his hand. <sighs> And with that lack of empathy and sympathy, and there's an obvious lack of these things with Malik, um, because it talks about how there's only one entity in this entire world, this entire universe that he trusts, and that is Vizier, his his digital counselor, his digital vizier, if you will, his right hand man, who is a computer that I believe later in the book we discover that Malik wrote the software. Um, because Malik is not an idiot, he seems like a goon, but he's not an idiot. He writes software. He knows robotics. Um, so, Malik wrote the software for Vizier himself. So it's the only thing that he trusts. So we learn a lot about Malik in this chapter. Um, on top of Malik, ab- ab- apart from Malik, we also discover that there are other entities in the world. Okay, there the Eastern Clans are referenced. The Africanes, um, that's a derivative of the, of the French spelling of Africans. Um, the Africans distribute technology. The Eastern clans create technology. They develop the technology. And Malik is their power supplier with their lithium. So we get this uh, sort of this triangle of, uh, of, of cooperation between these groups and Malik without batteries. Without lithium and without the cooperation of the tellurides, which Malik also has, nobody has anything. So Malik is sort of the the be all end all on planet Earth, and so we get that. And those other two groups, while they feel at one point at the end, at the end of this chapter, you can see it, uh, they feel like they could walk away from him, but then he has them, you know, sort of in the palm of his hand. He's got them in a position in a really vulnerable position where. Okay, if you don't believe in this whatever it is that's going to get us out of the telluride control, I can still cut off your lithium. So there's that, um, and that's what he has. He has that power over them. Okay, so that is what is new in chapter two. Uh, let's talk about uh, maybe a couple things, a couple things that might have maybe a little different, or um, if not, if not different, we're getting a different perspective. We're getting more perspective. We're getting a deeper perspective into the relationship of Ladin and Simic and Zade. So Ladin comes in in chapter one. He seems like he's just a kid off the street who's looking for, I don't know, handouts, free training, whatever from Simic. But in this chapter, we find out that Ladin actually hang, hangs out at Simic's dwelling a little more um, than we thought, or maybe then would be Expected of a kid who lives on the streets that the relationship is a little bit more than just you know knock at the door and get a free handout. It's 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 a true friendship, and uh, we get that line where it talks about how Zade went after the only uh, being of flesh and blood that Simic cared anything for, which is another clue, another illusion into Simic, into Latin, and into Zade which we'll get a little more into in Chapter 3, because Chapter 3 is the most revealing chapter when it comes to Zade. If you've been thinking anything about her, who she is, where she's from, Chapter 3, I think, is going to collapse the waveform, so to speak. It's going to open up Schrodinger's box and see if the cat is dead or alive. Uh, So whatever you've been thinking about Zade, we're going to find out if it's true or not in Chapter 3. So hang on tight for that. I'm not going to talk too much about Zada here, but I am going to talk about Simic and Ladin. Simic and Ladin, they have this relationship uh, where Simic makes a promise to Ladin. He's going out on a limb in Chapter 2 by saying, hey, you can have the next Mecca. And then in Chapter 2 here, Ladin gets the call. Gets the call. And the first thing he does is he... (laughs) He does the the sort of selfish thing. Um, it's, it's impulsive. It's the first thing he thought of was me, 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 me. I'm going to build this thing and I'm going to get all of this money for Simic and Zade. Um, so yes, while on the, on the one hand you have him, I'm going to do this. I want the prestige. I'm going to build this thing for the Sultan. I'm that good. And then on the other hand, you have sort of his secondary impulse, which is make money for Zade and Simic. And I sort of... I sort of ripped this character trait from my own children. Um, I wrote, like I said, I wrote this book about, oh, five years ago. I'd have to look at the copyright date on it. Um, And my son was about seven at the time. And his name is Jack. And he was about seven at the time. And he has this character trait in him. He is super, super uh, empathetic when he wants to be. Uh, he can jump right in there and feel everything you're feeling. Um, but his initial impulse is very uh, self satisfying. It's, it's a very, it's a very, it's a self instant gratification impulse, which all kids have. And he's a sixth grader now. So that's like the M.O. of sixth graders. Um, but he's got this impulse to do for himself. But it also has the added side effect of, oh, maybe it'll help other people out. And so I got that from him, and that's sort of Ladin's mo. Um, Ladin has been on the streets so long; he's been looking at him after himself for so long that he can't help but be uh, uh, sort of self-sufficient. And, uh, and and this whole caring about other people—that is obviously going to come second and he's learning that he's a 16-year-old boy he's learning how to care about other people because these people have shown him friendship and we will find out how long they've been friends later in the book so I won't get too much into that either um what else in chapter 2 world building um other than knowing that the africa eastern part of the world and the central continent so we've got the middle east asia and africa still very active in the world Um, The Americas and Europe, we find out later on what happens to them, and then there are still these mysterious Tellurides. Who are they? Where do they come from? What do they want? Besides the obvious, they want lithium, and they've been controlling the Earth for 200 years. So apart from that, there's really no other world building. Um, a little insight into what was sort of going through my head during this, um, I like I, I think I said this before. I'm a very character writer. I love characters. I think stories come easy. Um, yeah, stories stories are easy to come by. They're only you know some people say they're only they're only a, there's a finite amount of storylines in the world. What makes them all different is the characters and the specific scenarios. If you if you subscribe to that logic, and I don't know if I do or not. Uh, I think there's definitely evidence out there for that. But if you subscribe to that logic. Stories are easy to come by. It's the characters and the relationships that are hard to develop. And I think I mentioned this in one of the other podcasts, um, that when you're talking about characters, when you're trying to create characters, I'm the kind of guy who, if the character doesn't talk to me, doesn't drive the story, then the character's not worth keeping around and I get rid of that character. And if you've read my Immortal Light series, you know that I have a ton of characters in that series. Um, We're we're not quite up to uh, George R.R. Martin or J.R.R. Tolkien, or, you know, some of these guys with all, all the characters. But there are a lot of characters in the Immortal Light series because I, th- I feel like they all mean something. Or at least they mean enough to drive the story. And the reason I needed a lot of characters in that series was because it made the universe feel big. And I think that the more dynamic characters you have, the bigger your universe is going to feel. If you have a finite number of characters, and they're in a, a singular place... In your universe, it makes the story feel very small, and I don't like that personally. A lot of people like that. I mean, <laughs> uh, there are plenty of books that do that, and um, they they sell. People like to read them, um, and I'm not talking about like The Shining, you know, by Stephen King. That was isolation is a creepy element. Isolation is 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 creates fear. Uh, and it scares you. And that was, that's totally different. But as far as like a whole new universe goes, um, I don't like it feeling small. I want it to feel big. And I even struggled with this book because there are only a few characters in this book that I find meaningful and only a few places. Um, so I, I even struggled with making the universe feel that big in this book, but I think I got it to where it was comfortable. (laughs) Anyway, I digressed a lot there. Um, I want the relationship between Simic and Ladin to feel um, close, to feel like these are two uh, birds of a feather. These are two people who have everything in common, even though they come from gender, they're, they're divided by generations, um, at least a generation uh, between them. They come from separate generations. They come from separate mindsets, separate upbringings, separate educations. Yet there's that kernel in there. That their, are sort of, their firmware is built on this kernel of, of, uh, love for writing software, love for programming, love for language in general, who knows? Um, but they have, the, their, their, their kernel is the same. Um, they're just different versions of the same software. And so that's what I was going for with Simic and Latin. Um, So that was chapter two. I'm hoping um, in the next few weeks, in the next few episodes, I'm going to get a guest on here. I'm going to try to get Patrick on here with me. I'll try to uh, maybe Patrick and I'll meet up somewhere or I'll have him record um, because we are, if you're you're listening to this in the distant future, beyond 2020, we're in quarantine right now. Go look it up. Go look up the coronavirus COVID-19 of 2020 if you're hearing this sometime in the future. So Patrick and I can't really get together um, so we'll, I'll see what we can do. I'll see if we can get Patrick on here because Patrick is my writing buddy. Patrick and I we write books, we write stories, we throw them at each other and we bounce each ideas off of each other and uh, I really I really love working with Patrick and I just sent him 50 pages of a manuscript that he threw back at me and he's he basically said, I can see where you're going but you're not getting there. Um, and so I took, I took that as some decent criticism. I said, okay. Um, and so who knows what I'll do with that story. Um, I've got other manuscripts I'm working on. So I want to get Patrick on, get his perspective on writing. He proofread this book for me, or he beta read this book for me, uh, way back in the day. We'll see if he even remembers that. Um, and yeah, that's all I have to say about chapter two. Remember, if you have a question for me, if you want to ask me a question, go to com slash podcast. Find the comment section at the bottom of the screen. Write me a note. Ask me a question. If you have a question about my process, if you have a question about the book, the characters at all, um, a question about the universe, a question about, oh, no, did you plagiarize this? Did you steal that? Where did you get that idea? Um, Anything. You know, if you want to accuse me of something, if you want to tell me my book sucks, go for it, please. The only thing I ask is, this is what I ask of my 7th grade students, just make sure it's constructive. (sighs) Don't be a troll. Be constructive. And uh, that's all I want to say about that. JohnDSperry.com forward slash podcast. That's JohnDSperry.com forward slash podcast. Go to the comment section. Write me a note. Um, other than that, remember, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at John D. Sperry. That's J-O-H-N-D-Sperry, S-P-E-R-R-Y. You can find me on any of those platforms, and you can follow me. So I hope you come back for episode four, um, and keep keep joining us. There are going to be 33 episodes in this series of LAMP. Um, I'm hoping to get my wife to record the immortal light series for me those are some long chapters it's a lot of words we'll see if she's up for it um, because this process of recording and and editing and producing is a long process so we'll see if she can do that for us with the immortal light series depends on how long this quarantine lasts i suppose um so that being said take care be good don't do anything i wouldn't do thank you for listening to the john d sperry podcast we'll see you next time This podcast is written, produced, and edited by me, John D. Sperry. Additional music and sound effects are provided by EpidemicSound.com. The John D. Sperry theme song is Abstraction by Talent Studio, found at Shutterstock.com. This podcast is a John D. Sperry production, copyright 2020.